0: Welcome to the Gateway Baptist Church podcast. This is a message from our series on the life of Joseph. Today, we follow the story in Genesis 37 and ask, what do we do when we can't see the promises of God being fulfilled? Thanks, Lauren, they're very kind words and uh, great to be with you here this morning. I know after you heard that long introduction, you thought, how does he look so young? So, (laughs) yeah, we'll move on from that. (laughs) Hey, I'm really excited about launching our Joseph series today. If you'd like to follow along in the scripture, we're going to read quite a chunk this morning from Genesis 37. If you want to open up and get prepared for that. But we're jumping into the story of a young man who had some significant dreams for his life. Growing up, I've had some significant dreams for my life. The age of 10, my great dream was to play cricket for Australia. If you went into my bedroom, there were posters of Steve Waugh, on the wall, everywhere. He was my hero. And uh, I played in the local cricket league in Dubbo, New South Wales. I found some newspaper clippings that speak to my cricketing exploits and how close I was to fulfilling my dream. Under 10s, the Daily Liberal in Dubbo. Great newspaper. A good game of cricket and DCS who I played for were too good. Andrew Main, four wickets including a hat trick. I just felt that you needed to be aware that that (laughs) happened and some of you are asking who keeps a scrapbook full of like newspaper clippings when they were 10 years old of their cricketing exploits. Well, I'm an only child. That's what happens when you're an only child. Your parents keep great uh, records of all of your exploits because you are highly favoured. And uh, so I have all of my cricketing scores. They even cut out the ones where I got like six not out and kept them in there for me. So I can reflect on that. But my great dream was to be a cricketer for Australia. I soon worked out, even though I loved cricket, that I wasn't that good and I wasn't going to be that good. And so uh, as I grew older, other things took my interest. By the time I was in my early 20s, my dream was to be a rock star. Now uh, I wanted to model myself off Peter Garrett or Jimmy Barnes or Bono and uh, my crowning achievement, my crowning moment was here about 15 years ago actually where I got to sing Working Class Man on Father's Day. Was anyone here when that happened? That was the spike of rock stardom for me. So you can hear by my voice this morning that uh, I've really embraced Jimmy Barnes as a hero. I don't know why I sound like this today. This is just the way I woke up. But last year, I did end up having some vocal cord surgery. So my dream to be a rock star came crashing down fairly quick. Now that I'm 43, my dreams are much simpler. Five kids at home, I just dream of a night where I don't have to commute someone somewhere. (laughs) And a Saturday morning where I can sleep in. They're simple, but they're profound when they come to pass. Today, we're going to look at a series of a young man who was a dreamer and had some significant dreams. Let me read to you his story from Genesis 37. Jacob, who was Joseph's father, lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age and had made an ornate robe for him. You might have seen an ornate robe as you walked in this morning. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any other, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And Joseph had a dream. And when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is the dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind, I just want to pause for a moment in this scene. We find out a little bit earlier that Joseph's actually one of 12 brothers born to four different mothers. But the scripture tells us that Joseph, who is the second youngest, is actually the favored one because he was born to his dad in his old age. To his dad's favorite wife. We're going to talk about messy families next week. If you're from a messy family, grandparents' day next week will be a great encouragement to you because Joseph's family was a really messy family. And we already find out that Joseph carries great animosity amongst the rest of his family. I mean, he is the favored child. Hands up, all that know they are the favored child. No, hands. There's a few families that are going to be at war. I'm only joking. But Joseph was the favorite child, and his dad didn't help him because he actually showered some blessing upon him, gave him an ornate robe to wear so that even when they were all together, everybody just looked at Joseph and thought, well, wow, he's the spoilt one, he's the blessed one, he's the favourite. But then it goes even more pear-shaped. Now, as I said already, I'm an only child, but I have five children, and I've worked out that nothing kind of raises the ire of one of my children more the one of the others one up like getting themselves kind of more prominent than them. But a one upmanship. I my four eldest are all boys and they're competitive at heart. So nothing gets the ire of the others going more than when one likes to set themselves apart from the others. Now, I don't know why Joseph does this. The scripture doesn't actually tell us. It does tell us, however, that he's a young man that's 17 years of age. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I've done enough reading over the years to know that the male brain is not fully formed at 17. 17. All the parents of 17 year olds here are going, Amen to that. Actually, from what I understand in what I've read, that the male brain's not fully formed until somewhere in the mid 20s, later than the female brain. I read one article this week that says the male brain doesn't fully form to 43. <laughs> so, anyone here that thinks their husband is a child, there's probably some science behind that. I am now 43. So welcome to my mature years. I don't know what it is, but Joseph in his not yet fully formed brain, and apparently the thing that doesn't fully form is the decision-making capacity, thinks, my brothers already hate me. How about I fix the situation and come and announce to them about the dream that I've had where they all bow down before me? Try that one on with your siblings and see how it goes. I don't know whether it is just youthful arrogance or stupidity, or I wonder whether there's something else for Joseph. I wonder whether there's a desire just to manipulate things a little bit. He sees his chance to get one up on his siblings. And the minute you put it into the world of God told me, or I had this dream from heaven, or whatever it is that Joseph couched this story, and suddenly it becomes hard to refute, doesn't it? You ever had someone do that to you in a conversation? I think we should do this, God told me. The minute someone says that, it shuts down the discussion. See, the minute someone does that to me, I go, well, this is going to get interesting, isn't it? Because they're just using that to try and manipulate the circumstances. I wonder whether Joseph was trying to manipulate the circumstances by sharing this dream with his brothers. But the story tells us that it doesn't go well for him. Actually, they just hate him all the more. See, one of the problems for Joseph in all the excitement around what he's dreamed is that he's actually neglected to notice something really important. And that is while he gets a picture of what the future might look like, the dream's very, very light on some significant detail. See, the dream doesn't tell him what the time frame's going to be and nor does it tell him what the journey's going to look like. That's the problem and the challenge when we have a dream, when we we carry a promise in our heart, when we have a, a vision for our future, is sometimes we just live in that moment. We live in the point of arrival, not recognizing that the journey to get there is one that is yet to be seen. See, Joseph, when he shared his dreams, had no idea of the journey that he was about to embark on. He had no idea of what the circumstances of life would be that ultimately would help that dream become a reality. Read on with me. Verse 17, Jacob sent Joseph out to find his brothers. And so it says, Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal just devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands, Reuben, one of his brothers. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. They took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the system and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. And he went back to his brothers and he said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to his father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. And Jacob recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him and Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I'll continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph the potter for one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. I mean, this is a, a steep de-escalation of Joseph's grand dream. He's just had these awesome pictures and visions of his future where one day his entire family are bowed down before him and now out of rage and jealousy and hatred for this chosen, spoilt, younger sibling, his brothers actually take that dream and use it as fuel to actually strip Joseph of any sense of superiority over them. They rip his robe off, they derobe him of any sense of, of being special in the family, and then they throw him into a system. And at that point, half of his family still thinks the smarter thing is to take his life. But a few of the smarter ones decide to find a different course, and Joseph finds himself sold into slavery from the promise to the pit. I wonder if some of us here today have got a story just like that. We've had some significant dreams for our life. We've had some significant promises spoken over our life. We have some ambition and some vision for our future. We see ourselves somewhere significant, but right now that dream seems so far from reality. We actually find ourselves in the pit. I don't want to talk a lot today about how we discern what promises are from God and what's not. That's a Really great question. And probably all I want to say on that is this if you live faithfully to what God calls you to do today, His purposes will be fulfilled in you. And that that's the life that you want to live. But we don't have time to speak individually and discern every one of those questions. But the question I do want to pose to us today is this Who will you choose to be in the pit? See, Joseph's dream was a significant one. It was a dream where he found himself in a position of significance, where he found himself in a position of influence, a position of leadership, a position of power. But right now the whole dream is in disarray. You know, most people that I speak to about their dreams and desires for their future actually have great dreams. They want their life to count for something. I would suggest that most of us here today want our lives to count for something. We want to make a difference. We want to do something that makes a difference in the world. I reckon one of the things that we all need to carry very lightly and carefully is trying to discern when we're chasing after a dream or a vision because it's fueled by our own need for significance. See, we live in a culture that's obsessed with celebrity. We have people that make a living out of being famous of influencers who spend their whole life curating their image so that they get more followers, so that they can influence them to live a particular way. We have a culture obsessed with celebrity, and it can creep in to us and into the church. You see, sometimes we can have a picture of what we want our life to become, and it's a grand picture, a grand dream, a grand vision. And we need to keep asking ourselves the question, is this dream, is this vision, is this promise? about my significance, or about God's glory. Because if it's about your significance, it will change the way you are when the dream isn't coming about the way you expect. See, we can sometimes seek the platform. We can seek the promotion. We can seek... The position. I mean, Joseph was a young man who had a dream of great significance. I can understand what that must have fueled in him as a young 17 year old. But what do you do when things don't turn out the way that you want them to do? Does it mean that what you heard, what you dreamt, what was spoken was wrong? Let me say this God's promises will always come to pass. You may not Actually, you probably won't see the whole journey there laid out. But who you choose to be when the timeline and the road to that promise doesn't go the way you envisioned or expected will determine whether you get the privilege of being part of God's purposes in your life. You see, sometimes when things don't go our way, we start to give up on the promise or the dream that's sat in our heart, our mind, our spirit. What do you do when it doesn't go your way? What do you do in the church when the role that you see for yourself, others don't yet see? What do you do in your workplace when you have great dreams and aspirations, but others yet aren't on board with that and things aren't mapping out the way that you hope? What do you do in your career, your sporting career, your desire to be an Australian cricketer or a rock star musician when... Others don't seem to be jumping on board your dream quite as quick as you have. Who are you in the place when it doesn't go the way that you hope or expect? You see, if we're not careful, we can react in a way that's detrimental to us, detrimental to others and detrimental to us ever seeing fulfilled the dream that God has given to us. We can burn relationships. We can walk away from the thing that God's called us to do because... We don't like the fact that others don't share the same picture that we have for our life. We stop serving, we stop working, we stop training. We change churches, we change neighbourhoods, we walk away from our family. What do you do when others don't share the dream that you've got in your heart for your future? Maybe you don't walk away, maybe you don't give up, but maybe you just start trying to manipulate things to work out in your favour. You start taking shortcuts. You start making decisions decisions that actually question your integrity. What do you do when things don't go your way? Joseph had a grand dream, but he never saw the roadmap that was going to get him there. Hindsight would show that the journey through the pit was actually part of the fulfillment of the promise that God had for him. But let me ask you a question today. Who are you going to be in the pit? And how are you going to act when you find yourself in the pit? What God promises, God delivers. Our participation in God's promise comes down to two things. Patient endurance and faithful obedience. Write those two things down if you're a note taker. Patient endurance and faithful obedience. when the disciples started to get a sense that Jesus was more than just a good guy, more than just a powerful teacher, and more than just a miracle worker, when they started to get a sense that was more who Jesus was, that maybe he might actually be the one they'd been hoping for, the one they'd been waiting for, the promised Messiah. And you see, that came with great expectations about who Jesus would be and what his life would look like. And and many thought that it was going to be a path to glory and power and influence and he was going to crush the ruling authorities and he was going to take back that which rightfully belonged to those he lived with. They had a picture of how this was going to play out, but Jesus had a different picture of what the journey was going to look like and he started to share it with those that were closest to him and often they didn't get it, but Jesus one day starts to talk about The journey that he's on that would see the promises of God fulfilled through his life actually being a journey of emptying and a journey of suffering and a journey of being abandoned and isolated. Ultimately, the journey of Jesus was going to be a journey to the cross. And the disciples probably weren't fully computing by this stage, but he says this to them. Luke 9, after he talked about these things, Jesus said, and so whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. What's your participation in the pursuit of God's purposes and promises and dreams in your life? Patient endurance and faithful obedience maybe as we're talking about this today you're being reminded of the dreams of the visions the promises the call that you have yet it's been lost because maybe you found yourself in a place where you didn't expect to be and right now you're not sure what the future looks like but I want to ask this will you choose today patient endurance and faithful obedience as you continue to walk the path that God lays out for you and, and people don't notice you the way you think they should, will you still choose to be faithfully obedient, to serve faithfully when you don't get the opportunities you feel you should get? Are you going to give up and throw your toys out of the cot and walk away? And, or are you going to be faithful and patient? Is it, see, we, we, we don't know the journey there to see the promises and purposes of God fulfilled in our life. And God doesn't lay the roadmap out because I reckon a whole bunch of us would give up before we ever started. But he asks you to do something really simple. And it's to wake up today and to wake up tomorrow and to wake up the next day and say, Jesus, whatever it is that you need me to do and whoever it is you need me to be in this circumstance, I choose to be obedient, to be faithful, to be patient, to endure. I choose to be obedient, to be faithful, to be patient, to endure. I choose to forgive quickly. I choose to show grace lavishly. I choose to love even those who persecute me and hate me. I choose not to take shortcuts or make decisions that actually go around that which you call me to stand on. I just choose every single day to walk in the way of Jesus. And every single day as you walk in the way of Jesus, you know what starts to happen? God's promise and purpose for your life starts to be fulfilled. It doesn't come from us seeing the end point and then manipulating the circumstances to get there. It comes from daily choosing patient endurance and faithful obedience. Ten and a half years ago, I stood on this stage with about 50 other people that you as a church chose to release to go and start a brand new gateway campus in Ormo. We weren't called Gateway Ormo back then. We were called Gateway South. We stood on this stage filled with hope, filled with confidence. We had some big dreams in our heart about what this was going to look like. And at the time, there was a giant tree on the stage of Gateway. I've still got the photo of us all standing up here being prayed for. And at that stage, I'd been on team here at Gateway for 10 years. I'd done some time uh, of 10 years serving as the youth pastor and then a bunch of other roles and really felt God had called me and prepared me for this moment to step out with this group of people to start a brand new work down in Ormo. I have to say, we were pretty excited about what the journey was going to look like. The week later, the 25th of March, 2012, we held our first service in Livingston College. It filled with faith, filled with hope, big dreams in our heart. 180 people turned up to our first service. We had no idea what to expect, but we were encouraged by that. But there was something in us that said, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. What I did over the next 12 months was I led the greatest decline in gateway attendance that we've ever had in our history but that was okay. This was just the teething pain, right? God had called us. God had made some promises. He'll turn this around. First Sunday of February, 2013, we call it Vision Sunday here at Gateway. It's where we talk about the year ahead. And we'd met as a team and we kind of felt that there were some things that we needed to step out in faith in. And So we're like, you know, we're going to actually fill the hearts of our people with faith today and we're going to set out visually for them a picture of what we believe this year is going to look like. At the time, uh, the school where we met had plastic green chairs. You can still buy them today at Bunnings for about $4. They're, They're the cheapest quality green plastic garden chairs you can find. And every week, without fail, one of them disintegrated underneath somebody. With a loud crack and great fanfare, someone's seat would collapse. Now they were indiscriminate, like you'd think it'd be my chair, because I'm a big fella, but it wasn't always my chair. Sometimes it was the slightest person in our congregation just sat on the wrong chair and mid-servant, the thing just exploded. Well, we had these green plastic chairs, they're the ugliest things you've ever seen. And on this Vision Sunday, we laid out 160 of them in the hall, thinking we're gonna, this is what we think the congregation is gonna look like this year. Now the hall was... Because of these big clunky things, the hall was fairly filled. And uh, we came together as a team and come on, this is the biggest services gateway holds are always the first Sunday of February. Everyone comes back to church or comes to check out church and heart was really filled with faith. Anyway, we used to fill out at the end of the service a little A4 page just with some key data from that service. Let me show you the A4 page from the 2nd or 3rd of February, 2013. 26 kids, 32 adults, a pastor that can't do maths because apparently that equals 60. (laughs) I grew up in Dubbo, okay? The education system out there has taken... I actually think I probably just told them to round it up because 60 sounds better than 58 somehow. So when the kids left... To go out to Kid Zone and Kidlings, and there were nearly as many of them as adults in church. We had 32 adults in 160 chairs. Let me give you a word for that scene as the pastor of the church that day demoralizing. It was demoralizing. Like, God, really? Is, is this really a good idea? Is this really what you called us to do? God, if this is what you called us to do, why is this the experience of this moment? You see, suddenly we start questioning God. Have we heard God right? Is this what God wants us to do? God, why aren't you playing your part in this story? 32 people. And there were 31 on team. Like it was just, everyone was there in blue shirts and green shirts and we were worshipping together and we're talking about vision about God's going to fill the church with people from our community and oh' I was so demoralised and you know what that started to do in me, I started to question whether I was the right person to do this. Have I just failed all you guys? I mean, you all stood here the week, you know, the year prior and some of you gave generously, many of you kind of served faithfully, cheered us on, you wrote notes of encouragement and here am I, I'm meant to be the guy that's leading this and I've got 32 adults in church with me. That was really a low point for me. God actually spoke to me in that moment. He said, don't worry about the numbers. Just work on learning to love one another first for a while, won't it? Just, just invest in that for a bit. So we did. We just worked on loving one another. And it was a lot of work because we were still setting up a lot of chairs and a lot of lights and a lot of trust and a lot of sound and a lot of kids' equipment, but... We just really worked on building the community and the trust, the love for Jesus and the love for one another. I, I would say the fruit of those early years is still evident if you ever come to Ormo campus. You should come visit us one day. You will feel what those early years have built. But right in that moment, it felt like the promises and the dream of God were so far from ever becoming a reality. Revival didn't break out overnight. Still hasn't probably broken out in the way we would pray and dream and hope for, but every week now we have more than 160 people in church praise Jesus. Here's a picture of us just a couple of weeks ago down at Ormo. Paul Kavanagh's head right in the middle there wearing a Team Gateway shirt. How good is that? Here's a picture of our Christmas carols event. The end of last year, where nearly 400 people from our community crowded into our hall to hear the message of Jesus at Christmas. I mean, these are highlight moments. We all pick our best photos, don't we? These are highlight moments. The only thing that brought it to bear more than any of that was this year at our church camp. We run a church camp at Ormo every year on the May long weekend. We had our biggest ever Sunday service that we've ever had at church camp. 260 people on the Sunday morning. And we were doing baptisms that day. We had four young people getting baptised. For some of them, we were the only church they've ever known. They're first generation Ormoans. And so we went down to the creek where we were camping to baptise them. And as I'm walking down to the creek, a guy that's been part of our church for 10 years came up to me and said, are you looking after the baptisms today? I said, yeah. He goes, well, they're going to be all right to add me and my family. And so husband, wife and daughter walked into the creek. We had no one prepared to baptise them. So I just said, church, you know and love these guys. Come join them. And so we had fully clothed men and women just know in their Sunday best well not really we're on camp but wading into the muddy cold creek to be part of a baptism and in that moment we saw the dream of young people finding hope and life in Jesus and whole families being redeemed it didn't happen overnight but had I walked away had I given up had I quit Had the team walked away, given up and quit because it's never been about one person, we never would have got to experience the joy and the fruit of that moment. I nearly retired in that moment. That's as good as it gets for me. I just thought I should just walk away. It's like getting a hole in one in golf. There's no other mountain to climb. You know, just standing there with a whole family that have had their life transformed by Jesus and a bunch of young people that want to declare their faith in Him, that is the best in my world that it gets. I didn't, I'm still here. But I never would have got to experience that if I let the journey there take over my sense of God's goodness and God's promise and who He called me to be. You know how we got to that moment? Patient endurance and faithful obedience. As a church, we just woke up every day and said, okay, Jesus, what's it look like today? Whatever you tell us to do, we'll do. And we don't always get that right. And we don't always have a great attitude about it. But that's just where it goes. I want to ask you the question, has God put a dream in your heart? And right now, because of the circumstances you find yourself in, you feel like quitting. It's not your job to fulfil God's promises and purposes in your life and to manufacture the journey to get there. Let Him do what He does best. You just wake up every day and say, Lord Jesus, what is it for me today to be obedient, to be faithful, to be patient and to endure? Tomorrow, Lord Jesus, what is it today for me to be patient, obedient, to be faithful and to endure? And if you walk in faithful obedience God's purposes and promises will be fulfilled in your life because he who promises always delivers. And he get the band to come and join me. I want to speak a word of hope over a few people this morning because actually as I was preparing this, uh, one group that I really just want to speak a word of encouragement of this morning and it's those here that feel like they've missed their opportunity, that this is a message, this is a word for the young Joseph was a 17-year-old. He had time for this to still come to bear. Maybe you're here today and you think, well, I've had some dreams in my heart, but that time has passed. There was a man. His name was Abraham. You might have heard of him. One day God led him out into a field and got him to lay down and look at the stars and he said, okay, Abraham, start counting. As Abraham fell asleep, I imagine, trying to count the stars that night, God just said to him, It's my promise for you, Abraham. One day, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. Abraham, go pick up a handful of sand on the seashore. Let it just run through your fingers, Abraham. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the particles of sand on the seashore. Yet Abraham just kept thinking, I'm too old for this. Too old for this. How's that going to happen? Abraham's story is actually of him trying to manipulate it, make it happen. But what God promises... God is faithful to deliver. Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant, and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Some of you're probably thinking, okay, Jesus, I don't need that promise in my life. I'm not 100 yet, but I'm, I'm done. Here's the thing, right? Abraham was left with one speck of sand in his hand. He never got to see the full fulfillment and legacy of what God had intended for his life, but he got the joy of seeing the promise fulfilled in the one. Late in life, he didn't have many years to enjoy it or to live it or to embrace it, but God promised... And God delivered. So if you're here today and you think, I'm too old, I've given up, it's too far gone, it can never happen, that's for someone else to think of, you're never too old for God to fulfill the promises and the dreams and the vision that He's placed in your heart. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you have no capacity, like you're limited. Maybe you feel limited physically, maybe you just feel your capacity in life is so limited that God could never use you. There was a man in the Scriptures You might have heard of him too. His name is Paul, the Apostle Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament. He was a really smart guy, a really articulate guy. He actually, before he had an encounter with Jesus, was trying to destroy the church. That is how zealous and passionate he was. He was a leader. And then God got a hold of his life one day and used him in significant ways to build the church, to spread the message of Jesus. But the Scriptures tell us that Paul, it wasn't all easy. Paul, this highly competent Man finds himself with what he describes as a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know what it looked like, but we learn enough to recognise that it was limiting Paul's capacity to do all that he thought he should be able to do. The, The Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 12, that Paul three times pleads with the Lord to take it away. I reckon Paul's probably got a good prayer. Jesus, I'm following you. I mean, I've been in prison, I've been beaten, I've got no home address, I've been shipwrecked. Like I've planted churches for you. I've confronted local authorities in your name. Surely if there's someone that deserves the miracle, it's me. This thorn in my flesh, Jesus, would you remove it? Paul says he pleaded three times and guess what didn't happen? The thorn in his flesh was never removed. But Jesus, Paul says this, Jesus says to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If the thing that's holding you back from continuing to walk in faithfulness towards the promises and the purposes that God's planted in your heart is that you've decided you have the capacity to do it or the strength to do it. Maybe you've just arrived at the very place God needs you to get where you realise it's not about you. God's promises are fulfilled for his glory. Here's the thing. If you give up, he'll find someone else. We've got to come to terms with the fact that he doesn't need you. You're special, you're unique, you're valuable. He loves you more than he could love anything else on this earth. But he doesn't need you to fulfill his purposes on the earth. He'll find someone else. He actually gives you the privilege of being part of it. But it's not your power. It's not how articulate you are, how good a leader you are. It doesn't matter if you're, you've got it all together. The thing that matters is will you be faithful and obedient to, Today, to the things that He calls you to do. Because if you are faithful and obedient daily to His call, His promises and His purposes in your life will be fulfilled for His glory. And you don't want to not do that journey because that's the generosity of God that allows you and I to be part of His plan. Church, Gateway Ormo. Started to flourish when we realized it wasn't all about us, but just about us every day. Asking God to work in the midst of the feeble offering that we had to bring. You know, in the coming weeks, you're going to hear how this story ends, what the fulfillment of the promise in Joseph's life looks like. But today, one simple question Who will you be in the pit? Will you choose patient endurance and faithful obedience and allow God's promises to be fulfilled in your life? Can we stand together this morning? Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of your word, the blessing of your word. Thank you that when you promise, you're always faithful to your promises. Father, this morning I believe there's some here that have just given up. Dreams in their heart. And visions for their future. Promises that, that you've placed in their spirit. And God, it just it hasn't worked out the way they expected it. The journey hasn't looked the way they would have imagined. And God, they've just given up. But Father, today you just encourage us that you just call us every day. Take up our cross. Follow you. Be faithful. Be obedient. Be patient and endure. And as we do, Lord, your purposes and your promises find fulfillment in our life. For those that have given up hope, God, just by your spirit right now, just bring new life into that picture, new dreams into their hearts. But for those that have tried to manipulate it, God, just give them patience. To stay faithful in every moment, in every act, in every word. I invite our prayer team to come and join us at the front. I just wonder this morning if there are some of us that we've just given up, given up on the promise that God has given to us and today he just wants to breathe new life into it. Remind us of his grace all over again. Give us the resilience and the courage just to step out daily and faithful. Obedience. If that's you this morning, I just wonder whether you need to calm down and let these wonderful people minister to you this morning in prayer. Maybe this morning you just need to come before God in a moment of confession. You gave up, took a shortcut, you tried to manipulate things. Abraham tried to manipulate things. It didn't work out so good, but God was still faithful to lose promise in Abraham's life. That's the grace of God. There's always a way back. So maybe today for you, just where you stand or at the front, you need to just come before God in an act of confession, saying, God, I, I haven't been faithful. I haven't been obedient today. Call me back. As we sing, if you uh, would love to receive the ministry of prayer, why don't you make your way forward, see one of our prayer team, and uh, let's sing together. obedient to God. That song actually becomes all of our testimony. We'll discover that He's always faithful. He's always faithful. It's great that you've been here today. If you'd still like to take that opportunity for prayer, I invite our prayer teams at the front to everyone at Gateway Online this morning. We've got a team in the chat that would love to pray with you, maybe process any of today's message with you. Great to have you guys joining us as well. I know that some of you from Western Queensland today are uh, experiencing some significant flooding. You're in our prayers. Uh, At the end of the service, if you would like, if you're not in a life group, Being part of a small community to do the journey of life with is one of the most life-giving places we can find ourselves. And that's a place where you can be cared for, where you can care for others. And if you're not in a life group and would like to do for the next six weeks the journey of this Joseph series with a group of others, at the end of our service in our Welcome Lounge today, why don't you go and meet our team there who would like to help you get plugged into a life group. You can do that. The light at the back of the auditorium, this is Welcome Lounge, that's the place go if you're in gateway online you can uh, talk to someone in the chat about what it looks like for you to be plugged in to a life group as well hey gateway it's been awesome to be here with you this morning Uh, look after yourselves drive safely in the wet be blessed and continue to wake up every day and ask god how do i walk in faithful obedience to what it is you call me to do today bless you